Amen. Let's clap to our faith in God today, church. Good morning. Let's go ahead and grab a seat. Well, how are you today? You doing all right? Glad you are here with us. Why don't you grab your Bibles, if you will, and let's go back to the book of Ruth. We're going to spend a couple more weeks in this incredible book. You're going to see how it all ties into even this Christmas season. And uh, what we've learned about this awesome book of Ruth is this, is that there are some amazing themes that emerge over and over again. And uh, one of the themes that we talked about is what is called the Hesed love of God. And what that means is that God is loyal. How many of you are thankful for the loyal love of God? That he loves us no matter, no matter what we do, that he's always loving us, he's pursuing us. And we see that over and over again in this book. And then what we also see in this book is that you see some real attributes and, and, and characteristics in these main characters of Ruth and Naomi and, and Boaz. And so we spent some time on Ruth and just kind of developed her character and looked at that and said, this, this is what a godly woman looks like. We looked at Boaz and said, this is what a godly man looks like. Now, I want y'all to know, I left out one characteristic. Do you guys realize what kind of man Boaz was without Ruth in his life? Does anybody know that? He was ruthless. I'm just saying, all right, ruthless. <laughs> Some of you will get that on your way home, all right? And later on, Ruth and Boaz, they, they do have a son later, but they also have a daughter. I don't know if you know this. You know what they named? They named her Little Baby Ruth. Little Baby Ruth, a little later on. She was a sweet little girl. They teach us this in seminary. No, they really don't. All right. But, uh, but seriously, we learn these characteristics. I promise I will stick to my day job. We, we, we learn these characteristics about Ruth and Boaz. Such amazing godly people and how they, they love the Lord, put God first in their life. And you know what I really love about this book? And you're really going to see this, okay? And we'll see this also start tying in today and tying into the Christmas story. What I love about this is, is, is what is called the providential hand of God. And what the providential hand of God is all about is, is most of us love to see God at work. God is working with two hands. There is the visible hand of God. That's the one we really like. That's the one we love to see when there's things that are going on. We can see with our eyes and we're, we're grateful when that happens, right? But you need to know that even when things are going on in your life that seem out of control, things that maybe are difficult that you're struggling with, there is another hand of God at work that is the invisible hand of God and that is called God's providence. The providential hand of God where God is working in our lives. And I know that I know that just this week, talking to a number of you, I know that some of you have gone through difficulties. Some of you are going through things at work. There's some of you are struggling with things with your family. There's things that are going on. And when we look at it with the naked eye, we see it from our, our, the visible things that we're looking at. We, we, it's hard for us to believe and see that God is at work, even in those difficulties. That God can even work in some of the struggles that we have in our, in our lives. What we learn in this book of Ruth is that Ruth is a book of real people. And sometimes we read these characters and we think that, that that's not us or they're not like us. But I want you to know they're real people who have real problems, who need a real God to help. Can anybody here relate to that? Amen. Man, I need that in my life. I, I need to know that God is working. And not only just visibly, but, but I also need to be able to press in and trust that he's working even when I can't see. Now, I don't know if you guys know this or not. Some of you are new around here. Some of you have been around here for a while. I don't know if you know this, but, but, but I'm kind of a quirky guy. Would you, would you agree? Amen, right? Amen? 
Some of you said that a little more vigorous than I thought you would, okay? All right, but, but it's true. I am kind of a quirky guy. I'm, I, I've just had these real funny quirk, quirks and our staff laughs at them or whatever, but I'm quirky, but I may not be as quirky as this guy, right? You, you guys remember this guy right here? All right, this is, this is, how many of you know who that is? That's Bob Ross. Bob Ross, the Picasso of public television, right? That's who this guy was, okay? He's since passed away. This is the late Bob Ross. But uh, he's, he's the happy painter. And I, of course, I'm, I'm jealous of that sweet haircut. I've never been able to do anything like that, all right? But I grew up watching Bob Ross on public television. Whenever I was a, a young teenager, he was just kind of starting to come on there. And I just thought, I was just kind of mesmerized back then. I would watch a little bit. And, uh, and, and if you don't know who this guy is, all right, uh, then it's like taking Mr. Rogers and Mrs. Doubtfire and they have a son together and he's raised by woodland creatures and they taught him how to paint, okay? That's who Bob Ross is. And I had not thought of Bob Ross for probably 30 years until my 16-year-old daughter, Trinity, the other day brought up Bob Ross. And I'm like, you know Bob Ross? I had no idea that Bob Ross has made this resurgence among the younger generations. The millennials love him. Uh, the generation behind them, gener- they, love, they, they love his authenticity. And so she piqued my curiosity. I started watching Bob Ross. I have a problem with sleeping. I, I, have, a hard, I have insomnia a lot of times. I can't shut my brain off. I'm letting you know right now, it's a miracle. Bob Ross has cured my insomnia. I'm out, man. This is beautiful. I turn it on every night now. But here's what I noticed. One night I was like, I have to finish one of his paintings. I've never, I've never really finished one because he puts me out. His voice is so soothing, right? And he's talking and he takes his paintbrush and he cleans it. I'm gonna beat the devil out of that. That's what he says, okay? I've, I've learned all his little things that he says. And, and as I'm watching this, okay, I'm like, I've got to finish. I want to see how, how it really turns out. And I'm watching as he's going. And I'm just telling you, when he first starts, I'm looking at this portrait and I'm thinking, man, that looks like something a kindergartner could do. It just does, and I'm like, ooh, that doesn't look right. You know, and I kept watching. I was mesmerized by him. I'm, I'm fairly certain his voice is hypnotic, okay? And I'm, and I'm watching, and, and, and all of a sudden, it turns. He turns this thing that just doesn't look that attractive, and the next thing you know, he turns it into this portrait, this beautiful portrait that looks like this. And I'm like, how did he do this, man? How did he turn this thing around, right? And it just, it really was crazy in a 27 minute period. That's how long the episodes are. And I'm usually out in about seven minutes, right? But in this 27 minute, he turned this thing around and he'll say things like this. And it just caught my attention, right? Right? There's no mistakes here. While he's painting, he says that. There's no mistakes here. He calls them, they're just happy little accidents. happy little accidents, right? And he'll be painting and it doesn't look, he'll go, oh, I can still work with that. I, oh, don't worry. I can work. I can tie that in, right? He's not joking. I, I can tie that in. I'm in control of this, this portrait. Th- this is, this is, this is my little world here. That's what he says. If you're painting, it's your world. You're in control, right? And he's saying this and I'm like trying to stay awake, right? And, 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 and he pulls it all together into this masterpiece with a two, a two inch paintbrush. 
And it's crazy how he does this. And he'll even, I remember him even saying on this when I was walking, oh, this isn't looking good here. It's not looking good. But he'll say, but hang on with me. Hang on with me because we can work with that. We can work with it. And he said this, the best is yet to come. Do you know that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, do you know that no matter what is going on in your life right now, do you know that the best is yet to come? Amen, right? Even when you can't see it. Even when you can't see how it ties together, right? And it struck me, now we know this, that God doesn't have happy little accidents. All right, he calls them that, Bob Ross does. God never makes mistakes. We know this, God is perfect. We make mistakes. We can make mistakes in our lives, but, but here, is, here is what I also know about the Lord. He never panics about the things that seem out of control in our life. And I know some of you are dealing with some of that. He never gets, he never is, is, is like going, what am I gonna do about what they're going through? He's not like on edge trying to figure this out. Even when we can't see the outcome, you need to know this, that there's a promise to you that has been given that the best is yet to come for you, right? Even if it's not here on this physical earth that we live in right now, as a believer, the best is yet to come. You have heaven to look forward to, amen, right? The best is yet to come. And this is such good news for for those of us who have made mistakes. Anybody made any mistakes in your life, right? Yeah. Because here's what God can do is he can take some of those mistakes and because he is, is sovereign and he's the providential hand of God is at work, what we learn is that God can work with that. Or maybe there's just, it wasn't a mistake you made, it's just the brokenness of the world that we live in that sometimes bad things happen to good people. And God says, you know what he says? I can work with that. And I know you think I can't, but I'm God. And I can work with that, right? We'll learn in Ruth that it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what your baggage is that you've brought in, we're gonna see as it begins tying in together that God can work with that. That he's the kind of God who's not panicked about your situation. If you're a follower of Christ, the best is yet to come for you. And that's exactly what we've been seeing in the lives of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. If you'll recall in Naomi, Naomi and Ruth, they went to Moab. They, they went to a place because Elimelech, Naomi's husband, led them away from the people of God and the presence of God. In his desperation, he made a bad decision. They moved away. They were in Moab. They were going through a famine. They, they were desperate. And then the unthinkable happens. They weren't expecting this. Elimelech dies. They're going through famines, now they're going through a funeral. But wait, Naomi has sons to take care of her. Well then, just when you think life gives you a left and you get a right, what, what happens? The two sons die too. Malon and Kilion, her sons die, and now there are two very desperate widowed woman, women who are in this, and, and, and Naomi says this, she says, my life's over. I am not pleasant. Her name means pleasant one. She says, I, don't call me that anymore. She says, my name is Mara. I'm bitter. 
Some of you could probably relate to that because there's been some bitter circumstances that, that have impacted you and, and, and bitterness can settle into our hearts and, and Naomi was struggling and, and, and she felt hopeless and destitute. We get this outside perspective though that in spite of her bitterness, in spite of the bad mistakes that her family had made, we know that God is still working. We're going to begin to see this and God is crafting a masterpiece that will begin to unveil before us today. Naomi makes a decision to leave Moab. She says, I'm going home to Bethlehem, house of bread. I'm going back to the people of God, back to the presence of God. I'm going back. And Ruth says, I'm going with you. Orpah, her other daughter-in-law says, I'm staying here. Ruth says, where you go, I go. Your God becomes my God. She becomes a follower of Jehovah. She's converted in the midst of this difficulty. And God is working something out here. And so they go back home to Bethlehem. And, and, And you need to know, Naomi's bitter. And you can, if that's you today, you know, don't, don't think that I'm saying you need to change this. Listen, let, let's let God begin to work in your life today. Let's let God begin to do something in your life. I want you to see that God can even work in our bitterness. He can even begin to work in the bitterness that's in our hearts. He never stopped loving Naomi. He was still working. You'll see it at the end today. Chapter two, Ruth decides, I'm not sitting around here anymore. I need to go out. I'm going to get some food for us. We're starving to death. Nobody's taking care of us. If you'll recall, it says, she just so happened. That's God's way of winking at us. The Hebrew author who wrote this was saying this wasn't an accident. It literally translates chance upon chance, but we know there there is no chance with God. It was the Hebrew writer's way of saying God is orchestrating this. She just so happened to meet a guy named Boaz And in her weakness, what is his name? Strong one. He's a man of strength. He is a worthy man. The Bible describes him. That means he's influential. He knows how to handle money. He has warrior-like qualities. He is well known for being a godly man. And God crosses, just so happens to cross their paths. They begin to develop this friendship and this relationship. We see in chapter 3 that Ruth, after experiencing the hesed, kindness, loyal love of of God and and Boaz expressing kindness to her like nobody else had, she begins to, to have an affection for him. And she, without going into too much detail today, he, she essentially goes to Boaz, communicates her desire to enter into a romantic relationship with him. She finds out that he is what is called her kinsman redeemer. And I'm going to explain that in a second. Boaz is flattered by this. He's flattered by Ruth. Uh, and, 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 and he says to her, that, that he's going to do things the right way, that he's not going to take things into his own hands and force things. And you'll see this. He realizes that there's actually another one in the family who had the first right to redeem. And so Boaz doesn't panic. Uh, he, he says, we're going to do this the right way. And so I want you to write this down. This is actually a real point, not me being goofy. Number one, Boaz, I want you to see this, patiently trusted in God's plan. That he was, that he was trusting in God to be at work. He's not going to force this relationship with Ruth. He trusts that God is in control of his life. That the providential hand of God is at work. Boaz walks with God. He believes that God is working even when things are not always looking good. 
There are times, let's be honest, when we want things, and some of us who are control freaks, we will force things, we will manipulate things, we'll do whatever, and and we're not going to see this in Boaz. We're going to see that Boaz is going to do things the right way. He's going to be certain that if this relationship is supposed to happen, that it's, that it's part of God's plan, that it's in God's will. He's the kind of man that, just like Jesus said, not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Not my will, but thy will be done. Ruth is expressing her desire to be with him. This young, attractive woman is expressing this. And now she knows that he's one of the family redeemers. She's saying this in essence. According to Leviticus 25, Boaz, you have the ability to buy back the land that belongs to Naomi. You have the ability to make some things right in our lives. And I know you're that kind of man who is a man of honor. You are our kinsman redeemer. Here's what that word means, okay? Kinsman simply just means this. It means it's the closest living adult male relative. This was very significant in this culture. The kinsman redeemer was a, uh, was a provision God made for widows. And for those who were helpless, the redeemer part of it is to buy back or to redeem something back, to purchase that back which has been taken. When Elimelech died, Naomi's husband, Naomi had no rights to the property. That's just how it was. It was a, it was a harsh reality. There was no life insurance for her. She was destitute. But God in his grace provided for women in this measure and that they would be have they would have a kinsman redeemer who would come alongside them who would who would redeem that property who would take care of that woman who who was destitute and did not have the means to take care of herself and and in some cases if that man was a single man he would marry them if she had no children to carry on his brother or family members lineage they lived in what was called a patrilineal society, lineage mattered. It mattered to, if you didn't have the proper lineage, then it affected property rights. So Ruth knows that that Boaz is a godly, valiant, honorable man. And she says to Boaz, I know you can help me. I know that you can do something about this. Now watch how Boaz responds. He could have immediately said, we're doing this right now, okay? And look at what he says in chapter 3, verse 11. We'll go to chapter 4 in a minute. Look at what he says to her. And now some of you probably need to hear this because maybe you're wrestling about something. You're worried about something. Look at what he says. Look at how he's at rest. Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing, my daughter. He's saying, let's trust God in this. I will do what is necessary for everyone knows that you are a virtuous woman. That was her reputation, remember? But while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there is another man. I imagine Ruth at this point was like, oh man, I didn't want to hear that. He probably looks like a cyclops or something, right? There's another man who's more closely related to you than I am, is what Boaz says. Stay here tonight, and in the morning, I will talk to him. Now, look at what he says. And if he is willing to redeem you, everybody say it with me, very well. You see, he's a, he trusts God. If he's willing, we're going to do this the right way. We're not going, he is an upright man. He says, very well then, let him marry you. But if he is not willing, 
then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Boaz is saying, Ruth, I do want to marry you. I have the same affection for you that you do for me. I want to be in this relationship. I want to take care of you. I I want to start a life with you. I want to have children with you. But look, there's someone that's closer in this scenario, and he has the first right to this. And if that's God's will, so be it. If that's God's plan, as hard as this is for me to accept that sometimes things don't work out the way that we think they should immediately, here's what Boaz is saying. I will accept God's plan. And I will trust that God is watching out for me. I will trust that God is going to work things out. Boaz is the kind of man who is going to trust God. He's the kind of man that that doesn't run out ahead of God. And sometimes we do this, don't we? He's not the kind of man to lag behind God. He's the kind of man who is blessed because he is right in the center of God's will. When we do things the right way, God blesses that. He blesses our decisions when we do things the right way. He's not going to be pressured. He's not going to be forced into making some kind of mistake that would be a bad mistake. He's going to do things the right way. He's not going to let his character, you know, uh, be talked about in a negative way. Boaz is the kind of man, and I want to ask you, are you the kind of person that says, I only want what God has for me in my life. And I'm willing to rest in that and trust in him. I'm willing to believe that even though the portrait doesn't look very pretty right now, that God's working something. God's doing something in my life and it doesn't look right right now. It's an ugly picture right now, but I trust that God can work with that. He's the kind of man that says, I only want what God wants for me in my life. Do you realize that Boaz was very prosperous? He was very blessed. And I believe that the reason that he is is because he was in the center of God's plan. He was willing to follow God, right? And for many of us, when we live the kind of life that says, God, I want what you want. And sometimes I want things that aren't what God wants. And I want what you want, God. I want to do things your way. I'm not going to do things the world's way. The world's telling me to do it like this. Take shortcuts. Be unethical. Do this or whatever. No, I'm going to do things your way. God, when you say go, I'm going. If you say stay, I'm staying. I'm obedient. I'm going to trust you. You realize trust and obedience go together. Those are two things that go together. When you obey, you are in faith saying, I trust you. Even when it doesn't look like it's working out. Some of you maybe who are single, I would encourage you to to not get to a place. And and if you are looking for a relationship, okay, I'm not saying you need to be, but if you're single, we've been talking a lot about single adults because they were single adults That, 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 that be patient. Be patient in trusting God in this. Don't force relationships. If you're you're a single person, don't get desperate. Be content in who you are in Christ, right? Don't get desperate and, and out of desperation, marry the wrong person just because you don't want to be alone right now. Because if that is the case, then you're going to find that there's going to be problems later that you'll wish that you had been patient. Do things his way. Boaz says, Ruth, if we're doing this, we're doing it right. I want God's blessing. I've had his blessing on me, and I don't want to short circuit the blessing of God. Do things the right way. Do things the way God says to do it. Ruth goes home, and I bet she's just wringing her hands. I don't know what's going on. I thought this was going to be a lock. She goes home and look at Naomi starting to turn a little bit. 
Naomi says in verse 18, then Naomi said to her, everybody say it with me. Naomi, she said what? Just be patient. You're going to have to be patient, my daughter. Be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. You know what that says to me is that, is that we, she's saying, don't worry. Some of you are worried about some things today, and it's hard for you to worship whenever you worry. But when you, when you worship and you trust God, and remember what Jesus said, he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. I want you to trust me today. I want you to seek me today. I want you to follow me today, right? Worry is a symptom of the fact that we love to control. And when things seem out of control, he says, look, this man won't rest until he has settled things today. Secondly, this is what we see. That God is, and here is the key word, okay, if you're writing things down, God is always providentially working. There is never a time in your life where God is not painting this portrait. In other words, when it, even when it seems hopeless or out of control, this is the moment. This is what is called the crisis of belief. And I'm just going to put it bluntly, Okay where we either, we put our money where our mouth is regarding our faith. Because it's easy to say we follow God when everything's going our way, right? But what about when it's not? How do we move to that place? There has to be something that happens in us that says, I can't see that you're doing anything right now. But I trust that you are sovereign, and I trust that you are good, and that you love me. Right now, it feels like you don't. Have you ever felt that way? I have. Can I be honest with you? I have. But this is what faith is. This is where faith steps in and says, I can't see anything that you're doing right now. But I'm going to believe you and trust that you're working, right? I trust that you are at work. He trusts us. We get to chapter 4, verse 1. Let's, let's keep going here, okay? Let's, let's read through this. Boaz went to the town gate, and he took a seat there, all right? Now, he trusts God, but you're going to see that he also is a man of action, he trusts God, but he's not, he, he's, he's going to go and take care of what he needs to take care of. And he goes and he begins to do this. Why does he go to the city gate? This is where the elders of the town and where people of the town would do their, their business. They would ratify real estate deals, business deals. There would be disputes. The elders of the town would help settle those disputes. They would adjudicate these things. They would help the people work through problems. Now, what you're going to see again is the providential hand of God, the same kind of phrase that was used in chapter 2 where Ruth just so happened to see Boaz and be in his field. You're going to see it happen again, chapter 4, with Boaz and the guy. Just then, you see it? Same phrase. Just then, wink, wink. That's what the author is writing here. It just so happened the family redeemer that he had mentioned came by. Really perfect timing, right? So this is what's going on. The writer is emphasizing this. 
This is not accidental. God is orchestrating. God is working. He's in your life. And, and there's not an accident here. So Boaz called out to the man. What were the odds of this guy walking by at this time that Boaz was there? Boaz sees him, calls out to him and says, come over here and sit down, friend. And you need to know that this friend, the word here is not the warm kind of way of like they were good buddies. Boaz, if you'll recall, is a man who is tough with those he needs to be tough with and he is tender with those he needs to be tender with. And this was some toughness and he's saying, hey, I need to talk to you, buddy. Come over here. Come over here. I want to sit down. I want to talk to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to explain. You may think, really? This is what, yes, this is what is going on. I need to talk to you. So they sat down together. It's kind of his way of saying, hey, you, let's sit down. We're going to talk. We got something we need to work out here. Now, there's something that is missing that you're going to see in this chapter that maybe you've never thought of before. There's something that's missing. It's the name of the first redeemer. His name is never mentioned. And I want to tell you something. When God wants your name mentioned in the scriptures, God will see to it your name is mentioned. Malon is mentioned. Kilion is mentioned. Elimelech is mentioned. Never gets a mention. Never gets a nod. What's going on here? His name isn't mentioned in this passage. And the reason is this. God is making a statement about this man's character by not mentioning his name. You need to know that this man completely had neglected his responsibilities to these two widows. He was the first kinsman redeemer. Leviticus 25, he was spiritually obligated to come alongside them and and to be sure that they were being taken care of. We don't find any record of him saying, I heard you guys are back. Are things okay? Can I help with anything? Right? You know, do you have a place to stay? Do you have food? Can I, is there something that we can do to to welcome you in here? Right? And, and, And this guy never, we don't find any record of him ever checking on them. He doesn't concern himself with them. He may not have wanted to be married to a Moabite. Remember, she's a Moabite. You don't, you don't come around Moabites, right? He could have at least, though, helped them in some kind of way. But what does he do? Here's what we see, and it's very common in a lot of people. Nothing. He does nothing. Not one thing. We don't, we don't find him coming saying, can I pray with you? Can I, can I care about you? Some guy doesn't care. He is a classic man of no action. A passive, weak man. Boaz is the antithesis of him. Boaz means strong. This guy was weak. Man of no action. And so the Bible leaves his name out. He has no legacy. He's, he's out. And let's, let's, let's just get to the point. He is left out now and misses out on something great that you will see in a second. Remember, there are sins of commission. Those are sins that we commit overtly, you know, where we, where we maybe lie or we, we steal or we do something that's wrong that we've been told not to do. That is a sin of commission. But there's something that, something that, is, that is equal to that. It's called a sin of omission. And a sin of omission is when you should be doing something and you don't do that which God has directed for you to do. That is 
we're passive in that sense, and that is a sin as much as the other sin is, and God doesn't bless that. So he, here's these two widows. They come back. They need help. He does nothing to help his family. Scripture is going to point to something. I want to show you a couple of passages just quickly. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in 1 Timothy, and he's telling Timothy how to lead a church, and he says, Timothy, tell them, verse 3, take care of any widow who has no one else to care for her. But if she has children or grandchildren, their first responsibility is to show godliness at home and repay their parents by taking care of them. And all the parents said, y'all said amen louder about me being quirky than that. I'm just saying, okay, all right. But look at what it says. This, this is something that pleases God. When we take care of our family, when we love people in our family. But those, verse 8, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household. Look at what Paul says, man. He gets gets direct. They have denied the true faith. Well, it's easy to say we're a Christ follower, right? But whenever we put our faith into action, look, such people are worse than unbelievers. That's direct. Worse. God, what's being said? God takes this seriously. God takes it seriously that we take care of people. He has a very negative view for those that won't take care of those who are helpless, who are around us. So God's made provision in through Levitical law for these women to be taken care of through the kinsman redeemer. When the kinsman redeemer would do this, it was honorable. When he would not do this, it was shameful to neglect this. Deuteronomy says this in chapter 25. I'll just take it to you real quick. Look, but if the man, that's the kinsman redeemer, if the man refuses to marry his brother's widow, all right, that's for those who were single and, and, and to come along, she, and she didn't have a son to take care of her, she must go to the town gate and say to the elders assembled there, my husband's brother refuses to preserve his brother's name in Israel. He refuses to fulfill the duties of a brother-in-law by marrying me. The elders of the town will then summon him and will talk with him. If he still refuses and says, I don't want to marry her. That's kind of how I hear him saying that, all right? The widow must walk over to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal from his foot, and spit in his face. Well, a lot of ladies that laughed in the last one, too. (laughs) Then she must declare, this is what happens to a man who refuses to provide his brother with children ever afterward. Here's your legacy. Ever afterward in Israel, his family will be referred to as the family of a man whose sandal was pulled off. (laughs) Your new name is One Shoe Spitface. That's your new name. Here's the point. This is serious business, is to take care of our family. And this guy had not done this. And I'd never thought about it until this week that his name is not mentioned. His name is not mentioned. Naomi and Ruth could have gone to the town council. They could have gone. Boaz steps in. And Boaz is, I think, giving this guy a chance. I'm going to give you a chance to set the record straight, man. Remember, though, they were living in the time where people were doing what was right in their own eyes. And they weren't following God. 
So this guy is like, okay, well, here's the deal. So look, verse two, then Boaz called 10 leaders from the town. He asked them to sit as witnesses. Boaz said to the family redeemer, this is all going down in public. There were people who were probably around seeing what was happening. Uh, they, they, they saw that Boaz was there. He was a man of influence. Boaz said to the family redeemer, and I'm guessing maybe Naomi and Ruth were even kind of around there. You know, Naomi, who came back from, everyone say it with me. Where'd she come back from? man, she went to Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. This belonged to her, but she has no right to it because she's a widow in this, in this society. She had no right to it. She needed somebody to redeem it for her. This is what was needed. This is what God provided. He said, I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it. Here he is again, if you wish. We're going to do things the right way. You want to step up and take care of your responsibility, step up. So, so here's, here's what it says, right? It goes on. If you want the land, then buy it in the presence of these witnesses. You know what I also see about Boaz? He says, even if you're going to do this and I don't get any benefit out of this at all, here's what I'm seeing also selflessness in Boaz. He's still going to be sure that these two ladies are taken care of by somebody. He's going to do right by them. Boaz was so godly, right? And you see it again, right? If you want the land, buy it here then in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, all right, I'll redeem it. And I bet everybody in the crowd there, especially Ruth and Naomi, I envisioned like it was a movie and it pans to Ruth and Naomi's face and it slows down and they go, no, not one shoe spit face. Again, I'm quirky. Ruth didn't want him. Ruth wanted Boaz. And I can imagine Boaz at this point going, figures. Now that you realize something's in it for you, jerk. That's probably what, I don't know that he thought that, but yeah, I'll take it on the cheap. Boaz was probably like, of course you will, right? But Boaz, you need to know, was shrewd. Boaz, as we said, you can be a businessman and you can, you can do by God right but you can also be tough with those you need to be tough with and tender with those you need to be tender with. And you can be shrewd as a serpent and harmless as a dove. Jesus said that, right? You're going to see Boaz as no pushover. And I love this because here's what we see. Boaz says, okay, you'll take it. All right. Well, oh, by the way, Boaz said, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires you to marry Ruth the the Moabite widow who has nothing to offer you, dude. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Boaz is like, oh yeah, I forgot to mention that. You get a two-for-one deal here. Way to go. Here's what you get. You get a Moabite widow who has nothing for you. Oh, and I forgot to mention, you also get a bitter mother-in-law that comes along with it. Good luck to you, right? 
And the guy's like, what? Can you imagine if you were, you were closing on a house that you loved, right? And you were like, this great deal on the house. This is awesome. I love this. And, and, and you're getting ready to sign. And then all of a sudden, the realtor says, oh, by the way, you also get a cranky old woman with this. It comes with the deal, okay? All right, so he recoils. Look at what he says, verse 6. I can't, I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, Name's not mentioned again, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I cannot do it. You can't or you won't. Because a second ago, you said you could. What's going on here? I'm not going to get anything out of this, man. I don't get anything out of this, right? It's all about him. He's only interested in himself. If he's going to make money, if, he's gonna, if this is going to make him look good, if this is going to be convenient for him, this guy is self-absorbed. Here's what I want you to see. Number three, selfish people leave an insignificant legacy. If you are a self-absorbed person that is only looking out for only you, and that is the way that you roll, you're going to see this, that your legacy is not going to be very significant, especially in the eyes of God. Mr. No Name is the complete opposite of Boaz. He's all about himself. When we look at Boaz a couple of weeks ago, this guy was generous. He's giving. He's loving people. He's taking care of people. He thinks about others. You know, and, and Proverbs puts it like this. Look at this, 11 chapter of Proverbs. Give freely, become more wealthy. Do you realize God blesses generous people? God blesses a person that is generous, that lives with open hands, that's not just about themselves. Be stingy and lose everything. Do you know one of the reasons that God, I believe, has been blessing EVC so much? Is that we made a commitment several years ago to be a church that we want to move towards eventually, and we're moving towards this. This is where we want to give more away than we keep. Do you know that, do you realize that when we made that commitment that we have not missed being over budget since that time? That's not us, that's God, amen, right? God blesses a church like that. God says, I'm looking for a church to bless that will bless people that will love people, that will plant churches, that isn't all about themselves. By the way, I think we've got it pretty good around here too at the same time. You see, God blesses that. goes on, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Verse 28, trust in your money and down you go. You know, when you trust in your money, what you've done is you've made your money your God. Down you go. But the godly flourish like leaves in the spring. This guy was so selfish, and here's what I want you to see, was so short-sighted on the temporal stuff, he missed the treasures in heaven. And he missed out. Instead, His legacy is no name. His name's not mentioned. Ruth was generous. Book of the Bible named after her. Boaz was generous. His name was on the pillar of the temple of Solomon. Do you see that? that? That a generous person creates a legacy that lasts, but a person who is about himself, your name's not even mentioned. It's insignificant. Verse 7, very quickly. Now in those days, it was the custom of, in Israel for anyone 
transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, you buy the land then, man. Then Boaz said to the elders and the town crowd standing around, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. And with this land, I have acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow. That's emphasis there. She has nothing to offer, nothing to give. The Moabite widow of Malon to be my wife. And everybody went, ah. right? This way, she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband. He's so thoughtful, he's thinking about him. Wow. This guy is godly. And to inherit the family property here in the his hometown. You're all witnesses today. Boaz was, was speaking this in faith because you also need to understand that most scholars believe that Ruth was barren. Malon, they had never produced a child together, conceived a child. So again, Boaz is speaking this in faith. Here's what I'm getting at. The, the, the picture, God's tying it all together. Do you see it? He's tying it all together. The elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, we're witnesses. May the Lord, may the Lord make this woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. He said, they're praying prosperous blessings on them. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. May the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. These are powerful prayers of blessing. And I, I could do a whole message on this, but here's what it means. Our words and our prayers for people are powerful. Because you're going to see that this comes about. What they prayed for comes about. We want to pray this over our kids. We want to pray God's blessings in our, in our families for people around us. In the first chapter, they had no hope. All they had was famines, funerals, death, barrenness. The picture was ugly. But God is working it out providentially in their lives. Your final point is God can turn the bitterness that happens in our lives into blessings. He does this. So Boaz took Ruth into his home. She became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. She gave birth to a son. The invisible hand of God was at work all along. And now the visible hand of God is at work in this miracle of her conception of this child. I can't help but think of how bitter Naomi has been. She's been so bitter. But I want you to see what begins to turn here. In her bitterness, some of you need to hear this, God never quit working even in her life. In her bitterness, God never stopped loving Naomi too. God was painting this picture of her life and at certain points it didn't look right. But now the bigger picture's tying together. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. Who provided it? God did. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth, Naomi. May he care for you in your old age. He is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you. She's been better to you than seven sons. Naomi, you're blessed because you have Ruth, and now God has blessed you with this additional blessing of a grandson. 
Naomi took the baby, cuddled him to her breast. She cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. That is King David, and who comes from the line of King David? Our Savior, the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Redeemer for all of mankind. Amen, right? Yeah, that's how it turns out. I'd say God's been in control of the picture, wouldn't you? I want to just ask you to pray with me. Say, what what can I take out of this? Let me give you some, some takeaways right now as you're just before the Lord. You need to know right now that God is at work in your life. He's at work. The best is yet to come for you. He's painting a beautiful portrait, and I know it might not look in any way like God can do something with the mess that could be your life right now. But he can redeem any mistakes you've made, any failures, any mess-ups, any things that's that's just happened because the world's broken. God will never waste your pain. He is a redeemer. That's what this Christmas season is all about. He redeems us. And the best is yet to come for you. What you need to do today, you need to rest in him. He's calling you to trust him. Here's the other thing I want you to hear is that God blesses those who turn to him in hardship. You see, the best thing Naomi ever did was when she decided to go back home to Bethlehem. Some of you, if you've been away from the house of God, the house of bread, the provision of God, God welcomes you home. We welcome you home. Come home. Ruth, she wasn't a believer, and the best thing she ever did was go to Bethlehem. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, the best thing that you could ever do to have the best is yet to come experience is to trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior right now. You place your faith in Him. Here's your last thing. God wants all of us to live unselfishly. Are you being selfish? What kind of legacy are you leaving because of your generosity with your finances, with your time, with your life? Are you selfish or are you selfless like Boaz? Let's worship him in this last song. Will you stand with me? Let's ask the Lord in this song, make this your song of prayer. Let's ask the Lord to help us die to self and live for Christ.